Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Friday, May 12th, 2023. I'm Mike Chopley. All right, how's everyone doing? We've made it through yet another week. Here we are on Friday. Luckily, it's Friday the 12th, not Friday the 13th. We missed it by a day. We missed it by a day, but it'll, it'll be here soon. It's coming around one month, Friday the 13th. Anyone superstitious? Do you believe in that Friday the 13th stuff? I think it's kind of ridiculous, really. Why would the number 13 and Friday mean something? Why are people afraid of that, the number 13? It's so funny when you're in like a hotel and you're going up the elevator and it's 1214. I'm thinking, okay. So there's no number 13 floor, but the 14th floor is 13. It's the same thing. It's, it's, it's amazing this mind over matter we have, right? What does it say? If, it doesn't, if, you, if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's this mind over matter stuff, you know, where it, it, with, with like the number 13 with uh, cat, black cats, right? There's so many things. There really are. M masks. Mass stopping COVID, so much mind over matter stuff that uh, vaccines stopping COVID, whatever it may be, you know, it's like if people believe it, that's it, right? If you're superstitious and you believe the number 13 is a bad luck number and Friday the 13th is a bad luck day, you're going to be worried about it, right? If you believe these things, if you believe them, then they mean something to you. But if you don't believe them, then they don't mean anything. Just a little, yeah, little thought on this uh, on this Friday evening. I hope everyone's had a great week. Uh, we've had a great week of shows. It's been, uh, you know, another rough week. Another rough week, and uh, it was a rough day earlier today because uh, Daniel Penny uh, was uh, arraigned today and charged with uh, second degree manslaughter. And the great governor, soon to be the great president, Ron DeSantis, is putting out – actually, he is. He is in his own personal Twitter account. He's putting out the uh, page where you can give to Daniel Penny's defense. So while Ron DeSantis – very interesting. While Ron DeSantis is helping with Daniel Penny's defense, a maligned hero, Donald Trump is raising money for his uh, sexual <laughs> his sexual <laughs> assault defense. And his appeal. So that's a little shows you a little difference between the two of those gentlemen. But what's really amazing about this case is that when you watch the the uh, Daniel Penny, the Jordan Neely case, and you see a story written by the left wing media about this case, whenever it's any story they write about this case, they'll usually use this photo of uh, Jordan Neely. And it's him in Times Square uh, doing his little Michael Jackson, cute little Michael Jackson impersonation. And he's in a white T-shirt, beautiful white, pristine T-shirt, not one mark, not one blemish on it. And, a, you know, angelic young face. And people don't realize, of course, people don't realize, of course, that photo that the left-leaning enemy of the people media is using of him is 
from 15 years ago when he was 15 years old. So they use this angelic photo of him at 15 years old from 2009 instead of one of the 44 mugshots they have because mugshots are public record, which means we know the media, the journalism these days, we know they're so weak and fucking lazy. They don't do any work. They don't do any investigation. They just sit back and wait for press releases. They they wait for press releases from the DNC to tell them what to write. But they can find one of the 44 mugshots of this guy, okay? Because he was arrested 44 times. So they got 44 mugshots. But instead of using, you know what? Even if they wanted to pick out the most angelic-looking mugshot, they could use a mugshot. But they decide. This is a decision. Look, if you're a news editor, right, if you're a, 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 new, a journalist or a news director, wouldn't you say, well, you got 44 mugshots. Let's go find one of them and put them up there. But what they say is, no, don't use one of the mugshots. Believe me, there, there are some good reporters out there who I'm sure – went to their news director and said, hey, uh, should I use one of the 44 mugshots we have of this guy? No, no, don't use that. Use this angelic photo when the kid was 15 years old playing Michael Jackson just to make a living in Times Square. Put that photo up there. This is how, this is why, once again, people who listen to this show, nearly 400 shows strong over the last year and a half, no, I am no fan of Donald Trump. No fan. I hope Ron DeSantis not only defeats him, but utterly kicks his ass so he goes away forever. However, when he said the media is the enemy of the people, he was right. My father would always say, when you're right, you're right. When you're right, you're right. And when you're right, you're right. And he's right. The media is the enemy of the people. They're the enemy of the people because they push their narrative. They don't push the truth. They don't push the truth. Why use a photo of the kid at 15 when he died at 30 and there are 44 mugshots of him if it were a white guy? You can bet. they will. Hey, when they do the story, wait a minute, forget about it. I don't have to do any hypotheticals. Watch. It might have even happened already. When they do the next story about this and they talk about the hero veteran, Daniel Penny, guaranteed they use his mugshot from today. So here's a hero veteran with one mugshot. He's been arrested once, and they'll use that photo. Yet they don't use one of the 44 mugshots of Jordan Neely. Instead, they use this angelic photo of him from the year 2009. The enemy of the people. They are the enemy of the people. There's no other way to say it. This wasn't true 40 years ago. This wasn't true 20 years ago, I don't think. But it's certainly true now. This is what they've become. They're lazy, DNC, bought-off hacks. That's what the mainstream media is right now. They just sit back and wait for a press release. Something happened today in New York City. I believe it was earlier today, if you're in New York, ABC7, I used to work for WABC Radio. This is WABC TV, Channel 7 in New York. So there's an, a, an anchor there, a reporter, I haven't lived in New York in a long time, so I don't know him, um, who evidently said something on like a hot mic. He wasn't on the air, 
You know, I can't believe that people who do this stuff for a living don't realize you must always assume that your microphone is hot. Assume it's on. When there's a microphone on your neck, don't say stupid shit. Wait until you're with your colleagues at the bar later. I don't get it with these people. But anyway, supposedly he said something when he thought he was off the air, but the mic was hot. And he was fired like about a second and a half later. Word came down, you're fired, you're gone. And no one knows what he said. No one knows what he said. Now, in my day, when I was working in radio in the 90s into the early 2000s, we would know in about two and a half seconds what he said because we would do like investigative journalism. We'd call around and we'd find out what happened. Okay, And yet there's no report of anyone finding out what this guy said that got him fired like within minutes. What did he say that would get him fired within minutes? What is it? Why don't we know? Because they're so lazy, these journalists. They just wait for the press release. That's it. That's not journalism. Any monkey can sit there and wait for press releases to come in and then just regurgitate what's in the press release. But you see, when you get a press release, that's the PR spin from the comp, from the person you're getting it from, the entity you're getting it from. That's not in real journalism. Just printing what the, what the PR hacks want you to say about the issue. That's not real journalism. That's not real journalism. That's lazy ass, weak tea garbage. And so people will say, Mike, well, why? Why do these people have jobs? Mike, if you're saying all this and it's right, why do these people have jobs? Because their bosses are assholes also. So when your boss is an asshole, they're going to hire assholes. That's the way it works. If your boss is a schmuck, they're going to hire schmucks. And they're going to think those schmucks are brilliant because they're dumb, so they don't know any better themselves. So this is like a generational thing now, right? We're getting bosses who, in other words, these current fake journalists will soon run their news divisions and hire people who are also fake, lazy journalists. So we get no real journalism. We get no real journalism at all. So don't expect this to ever change. Not in our lifetime, because there are generations of shitty journalists who are going to grow up in their bureaus to become the bosses, and they're going to continue to hire morons like themselves. It's a combination of being lazy and weak and a bum and also wanting to push your left-wing narrative. So if you want to push your left-wing narrative, all you need to do is wait for the press release from the DNC. Wait for the press release from the White House. Wait for the press release from the TV station telling you why they fired the person. You don't go – go and get – don't go – don't search for any of the mug shots of Jordan Neely. Just put up that photo from 15 years ago, which makes him look like a young angel. It's really sick. It's sick out there, and it's getting much, much sicker. And like I said, I, I don't have any faith. I don't have any faith that the next Cronkite is is there. You know, it's not like uh, to use a sports euphemism like the bench. It's not like there's a Cronkite on the bench waiting to come off the bench. There's not. There's a bunch of A-ball bums waiting to come off the bench. And people don't realize how frightening this is. If we had an actual media, things would be so different in this country. 
Just take the last three. We don't got to go over the last decade or 15 years. Let's go over the last 36 months. Thinks of how, think of how differently things would be if we had a real journalistic media that actually did some real investigative reporting and journalism into do lockdown stop viruses. Let's go back in time. Has it ever been done? And if it had been done, if it hadn't been done, why? And if it had been done, did it work? Anywhere in the world, forget about this country, anywhere in the world, did lockdowns scare a virus from spreading? No, no journalism. Just believe with Fauci, with Dr. Fauci, Fauci did and said, that's all. Wait for the press release from the White House. Wait for the press release from the hair gel king of California. Just wait for the press release of the PR department of California and write what they say. That's what they did. Did they do any investigative journalism into whether wearing a cloth mask stops a virus from spreading and makes the virus go away? Did they ever do any reporting on that? Did they ever do any investigative journalism on that? No. They waited for the press release to come down from the hair gel king of California or Dr. Sfauchim. That's what they did. And they wrote it. And they wrote it again. And they wrote it up again. And they wrote it up again. Vaccines, stopping the spread. If you get that vaccine, you ain't going to get it and you're never going to spread it. The, the virus dies with you. Did they ever do any investigative journalism on whether that's true? On where these people who said that found that out from? Where they got it from? No. Waited for the press release from Walensky at the CDC and they typed what she said. That's not journalism. That's stenography. Look, I'm mad because I was in the business. And I work with great journalists. I work with the best of the best. I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I was working with the best journalist in New York City, meaning the best journalist in the world, at least back in the 90s. And these guys would be beyond reproach. You know, we had talk show hosts like Rush Limbaugh and Bob Grant who would put them on and play, you know, play those little games were trying to get, they would try to get the reporter, the news reporter, the news anchor to like give an opinion, right? Bait them. And they would never take the bait because they were beyond reproach because all they wanted to do was report the news. They didn't want to get into opinion or narrative or spin. Of the right-wing kind or the left-wing kind. They wanted just to report the news. The facts. Where have those people gone? Do they see it as boring? Is that too boring to report the news? Do you got to do what Mike Cachopoli does and yell into an iPhone? Why? Why? There are plenty of people doing that. Why can't we have any real reporters? Why? It's a great business. It's a great business to do investigative journalism, break news, do investigations, win Pulitzer Prizes. They don't want to win Pulitzer Prizes anymore. Isn't that what Byron Donald said the other day when they were talking about Biden stuff? And he looked at the reporters and said, guys, there's a Pulitzer Prize here. There's a Pulitzer Prize here somewhere. Why don't you do what we just did? I tell you what, do your journalism and prove we're wrong. Prove Biden is a great guy that did nothing wrong. Go for it. Go for it. Either way, you're going to win a Pulitzer, right? Either you're going to prove the Republican Congress is full of shit and did a witch hunt, 
or you're going to prove the president of the United States is corrupt. Either way, you're going to win a Pulitzer Prize. But no, they're lazy and they're afraid that they're going to find out that the president of the United States is corrupt. And he's their president. He's the one they voted for. God forbid they feel if they hurt Joe Biden, oh, they're helping Donald Trump. How can you deal with such a thing? No, no, you're not hurting or helping anyone. You're doing your fucking job. You're doing your fucking job. So it gets me mad because I work with the best of the best. And that's gone. And it's over. Now it's over. Now everyone wants to have an opinion, right? They say everyone has an opinion. Every asshole has an opinion, right? Well, it, should, it shouldn't have to be that way. There are enough of us who have opinions, this is why people get kind of confused, right? People <laughs> yell at me because they assume I think I'm a journalist. When have I ever said I was a journalist? When did Dan Bongino or Tucker Carlson ever say they were journalists? We're not journalists. That's the point. That's the point. We don't want to fool you. How can we fool you? How can you how can you think I'm a journalist? How can you think Sean Hannity is a journalist or Rachel Maddow is a journalist? You got to be a total idiot. But people don't know what journalism is anymore. So they get fooled into believing that Russia Maddow and nervous Chris Hayes and the actor Lawrence O'Donnell are journalists, that they're doing journalism. The people writing the stuff for them are journalists. No, they're not. They're fucking creative writers. They can, they, they can, the same people, these same people who write for Rachel Maddow and, uh, and Chris Hayes and Lawrence O'Donnell and Greg Gutfeld, they go, they write screenplays. Why? Because they're creative writers. They're not news people. These aren't news writers. But some of us are honest about it and some of us are deceitful about it. And I just think that the left seems to think more than the right that these people are journalists. They're not journalists. Anything you see now on CNN.com, MSNBC.com, it's not journalism. It's a political, it's a slant. It's an opinion on the news. That's what it is. So you have to take it with that grain of salt. How many times do I go on here? And I look up CNN.com. I'm doing it right now. I'm typing as I talk to you. All right. Typing as I talk to you. And I go to CNN.com and I'll see a story. I'll go, oh, here's, oh, okay. Let me read this story about Jordan Neely. Okay. Because I want more facts. Let's say I go to CNN.com and I want facts about, you know, there's a story out there and I can't follow everything. So I, all I want are facts. That's all. I want the facts. I want to read them to you. I'll click on a story. Okay, and I'll click on it and I'll start reading it. And as I get about one paragraph in, I'll realize this is not about the facts. I'm reading this person's opinion. I'm reading this person's opinion. Why? Why does CNN or MSNBC need to even have opinion writers? Why can't they just do news? You can get your opinions at podcasts. You can get your opinions on television. You can get your opinions on the social media. Why do they have to have opinions? There's another reason for this. This current day mentality of people who run these places is opinion sells, facts are boring, right? So people go for opinions, and usually people go for opinions they agree with, right? 
People go for opinions they agree with. They want to read things that second what they are thinking about something, that verify what they are thinking about something. That's what gets, and of course, it's written in a very entertaining style by good writers, by good creative writers. It's written in a very entertaining style. So that's what gets all of the hits. That's what gets all of the ratings. And real dry news, if you will, oh, my God, just the facts, how dry and boring. People don't want that anymore. This is what they believe. Are they right? I don't know. Are they right that people don't want facts anymore? They just want a slant that, that they agree with, that verifies their own bias. Is that what people just want now? Is that what they want? I don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, I don't watch, I mean, I don't watch CNN, MSNBC anymore. I watch Fox most of the time if I watch anything. And I don't need them to agree with what I'm thinking. I don't. Actually, when they agree with something, they're agreeing with me. I'll come on the show and say something a day or two later. I'll watch and they're saying the same things. But if they're saying different things, I'll disagree with them. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't watch these things to get off on them agreeing with me. Verifying what I what I think, proving I'm right or something. It's just another person's opinion. But this is what people seem to want nowadays. I like it more when they disagree. I get mad and I go on Twitter. <laughs> I like that more than when people agree with me. I don't get it. I don't know. But journalism is dead. There's a podcast out there about that, how journalism is dead. And that's it's true. It's dead and it's buried and it's impossible to just try to find out the facts of a case. Everyone who writes stories these days, whether it be about this, that, or the other thing, have to interject their own thoughts and opinion. And there was a time not too long ago where once that was run by the news editor's desk, that was all deleted. The person would have to start over. Now they just let it go. Now they have to let it go. I mean. You've watched all the movies, right? All the president's men, all those movies that are about investigative journalism, and you see it all the time, right? The, the, the bosses, the editors, they, they run the copy by them and they go, okay, how do we back that up? How do we back that piece of evidence up? Where's that fact? Where'd you get that fact from? Where's your sources? Now that that's all gone. <laughs> that's all gone. If they did that now, there'd be nothing. It would be blind pages. Now they just let it all go. Because it's like they want, they have, they believe they have the power to change and guide public opinion. And if they guide public opinion away from Donald Trump, they think they're great heroes of humanity. And it's disgusting. And we suffer because you can't find out the facts. You can't find the reality. Where does the reality exist? Where does the reality exist? We can't find it anymore. What's real? What's not? What is it? And you'll hear charlatans like Barack Obama talking about the same thing I'm talking about, but he puts his own left-wing slant on it, his own, well, I'd say big corporate left-wing swing on it, right? Big big government, big military left-wing uh, slant on it, which is basically that 
everything that Fox News says is wrong and everything MSNBC is right. That's what Barack Obama would say to you, right? That's what he when he when he puts up these little videos on YouTube. That's what he's saying. When he says we have to watch out for fake news, he's saying everything MSNBC writes is real news. Everything uh, Fox News or the Post writes is fake news. So he's full of shit. We know how full of shit he is. Okay. Instead of just saying what I'm saying, that we need people all over the right, left, middle to write facts. That's it. Write facts. But these people like Barack Obama. Don't this is it all started with him. It all started with these people. That's when it really started with Barack Obama. It really did. When the journalism just went down the shitter. And that gave, you know, Donald Trump the right to say when he started running eight years after Obama was elected that the media is the enemy of the people because they are. Because they are. And there have been times through history when they've lapsed, and they usually lapse when it comes to like jingoistic stuff, right? Like uh, wars. They the media takes the the government's the American jingoistic uh, view on it, at least at the beginning, right? Iraq War, nine eleven, right? There was no investigative reporting in the first couple of years of the Iraq War. That was pre-Obama, but that's usual. The media, because they're Americans, they back. America, they back the government narrative when it comes to the war. They take our side against our opponent's side, even if it's wrong. And they don't look up the facts, right? Weapons of mass destruction. Was there any real investigative journalism? No, just the opposite. I remember watching at the onset of the Iraq war in 2003. And I'm watching CNN and MSNBC and Fox, all of them. And they're showing satellite images, right? of Iraq and they go, oh, and they have all these quote unquote we, experts. We know about the experts now, right? Like like the uh, COVID experts. So they have the war experts on, the satellite experts, and they're saying, yes, you see that image there, Joe? That's where the weapons are. Do you remember that? Does anyone else remember that? I can't be the only one. It was only 20 years ago, almost, almost to the day, right? May of 2003, was it? March, April 2003. And, uh, I remember it. There, there's the video. There's the building. That These three buildings here are where we believe the weapons of mass destruction are. What was in those buildings? Fucking toilet paper. There was nothing in those buildings. By the way, we, 20 years ago, we didn't have the ability to see through buildings. We didn't have infrared. We couldn't see into buildings, only the tops of buildings. I don't understand that either. But uh, that's what we were told by the experts. Yes, there they are. We need to bomb here, right here. Total bullshit. Total bullshit. So were they wrong or lying? That's the same argument with COVID, right? Like people want to excuse them, but they were just wrong. They 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 tried their best. They thought the weapons of mass destruction were there. They really were. No, I believe they were lying, right? Because how can experts be wrong 100% of the time? You would have to believe if the like experts were wrong with weapons and in Iraq and the and the experts were wrong with vaccines and mass and lockdowns. Why are they experts if they're wrong a hundred fucking percent of the time? They're not wrong a hundred percent of the time. They lie. They lie to get their way. That's what they do. They lie to get their way. It's like when someone's in a corner when they're when a public official is being questioned and the heat's on them and they'll just lie to get out of the room alive that day and live for another day and then they'll do the same thing. Next time, just lie to get out of the room alive. That's it. 
And that's what these people do. They just lie to get out of the room alive. They can't tell the truth. Because anyone would know they're full of shit. So the death of journalism is here. It's dead. It's absolutely dead. And from once again, from a big thing like weapons of mass destruction and COVID and vaccines to the little things like when you use a photo of a guy when he's 15 and looked angelic as opposed to one of his 44 monk shots, like the one they took after he punched the 67-year-old woman in the face on the subway, breaking her face. That one, the one he had never, the one where he didn't appear in court and there was a weapon out, there was a warrant out for his arrest when he went on that train a couple of weeks ago. They don't use that photo. It doesn't fit their narrative. So he was arraigned today, Mr. Penny. And uh, you can go on, I know you can go on Ron DeSantis's Twitter page, not governor, just Ron DeSantis, Florida, his personal account. And he put a link to where you can uh, contribute to Mr. Penny's uh, defense. So, um, you know, we talked about that yesterday and we talked about the result of that, the result of what happened, even though he was trying to protect his fellow man. And on this show, I spoke about that. And what I said was, hey, look, now people are never going to stand up for anybody because cases like this are going to be in the back of their head that what if I do something and the guy gets really hurt or dies? Am I going to jail? So why should I bother? I'm going to let him beat the fuck out of the old woman because I don't want to get involved and go to jail if something bad happens to the guy. Right. And then they'll say it wasn't equal force or the guy was black or he was indigent and homeless. And then the activists like Al Sharpie Sharpton, they're going to come out there and they're going to get me arrested because the D.A. has no fucking balls. So why should I do anything? Why? That's it. I'm never going to expect anyone to do anything again. And I'm never going to blame anyone from doing anything again. That's it. And that's the fault of this fucking society, of the mainstream media, of ballless people like Alvin Bragg. That's who is the fault of. I'd like to blame Eric Adams for this one, but I probably can't because I think for once Shaft has done the right thing and said, I got to stay out of it. I can't give my opinion on a legal case. And he's right about that. More politicians need to do that, like <coughs> AOC. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not going to expect anyone to do anything anymore. I'm certainly not. I'm not. I'm only going to protect myself from now on. That's all. And I expect people only to protect themselves from now on. Well, even that, how do you know? What do you, I, think, I think we're living in a society now in this wokeness where we have to allow like minorities, people who are homeless, to, to beat the shit out of us and kill us. It's like we have to let them beat the shit out of us and kill us. We can't defend ourselves against these people, okay? We owe it to them to let them kill us. That's it. We owe it to them to let them beat the shit out of us. This is what a fucked up place we live in here. I'm tired of this ridiculous wokeness. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that, that I'm tired of it. 
but is absolutely ruining society. Don't believe the left when they go, oh, it's not a big deal. This wokeness is such a made-up thing. It's such a made-up thing. Even though they started the woke-as-fuck. They started the whole woke-as-fuck movement. The right wing didn't start that. It's the left-wingers that started that. They love st- The left wing loves starting things, and then the right wing will point it out as being bad, and they'll say, it doesn't even exist, man. What are you talking about? It's a conspiracy theory. Like the gas stoves. Remember the gas stoves? They said it was a conspiracy theory when we said they wanted to take your gas stoves away. AOC did that ridiculous video lying there on the couch like an eight-year-old fucking asshole girl saying, eh, the, the right wing is going to take you. They're not going to take it. So what are they doing in New York right now? What is the governor? What is the wicked witch of the East, Kathy Hochul, just done? Starting in a couple of years, no more gas stoves. Oh, it's a conspiracy, though. They're not going to take our gas stoves away. Then they take it away and they say, oh, too bad. These people are insane. They truly are. They say up is down, right is left, and we're supposed to believe that. We're supposed to believe that. And then they'll say something stupid and extreme, like, oh, right-wingers are saying that we're going to march into your apartment tomorrow and take your gas stove away. No one fucking said that. What we said is they're going to start building things where you can't have gas stoves, and that's exactly what they're doing. I think I should do a whole show on the people I hate and just go through them one at a time. The hair gel king of California, the demented president, the little eight-year-old girl named AOC, the mayor Shaft in New York City, little Hitler in blackface, Trudeau in Canada. Let's go through the list. There are many. The Wicked Witch of the East, Kathy Hochul. The Wicked Witch of the West, Barbara Farrar down there in L.A. County. We're surrounded by so many truly evil people. The, the left will make you believe there's only one evil person in the world, Donald Trump. There'd be only one. Once he's gone, before him, everything was great. And once he's gone, everything will be great. The left will have no more complaints. <laughs> they had no complaints before Donald Trump. They never complained before 2015. And they'll never complain once he's gone. Yeah. Okay, sure. Absolutely. No doubt about it. The evil people these days have a D next to their name. It's just the way it is. It seems like if you're an evildoer, as W would say, evildoer, evildoer, you have a D next to your name. It's the way to be. It's the woke club. It's the virtue signaling club. It's the authoritarian club. It's the club that wants to tell you to do things their way. And if you don't do things their way, you're a bad, evil person. If... They can't control your every movement. There's something wrong with you. You're not, you're not doing what's the, for the greater good. If you don't listen to what we say, you don't believe in the greater good. Fuck you, the greater good. You know what? But I'm going to do something shocking right now. <laughs> I'm going to criticize the Republican. Because sometimes you have to do what you have to do. Hey, when you're right, you're right. And when you're wrong, you're wrong. So, Tony Montana down in Florida, uh, also known as Mayor Suarez of Miami, I like to call him Tony Montana. Tony Montana down in Florida is uh, thinking about running for election president. And I think it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I think it's ridiculous for any mayor to run for president. There's no connection between being a mayor of a little city or a big city 
and President of the United States of America. It's two totally different things. I understand there's both executive positions, but to, to be a mayor of a city and the president of the biggest country in the world, you know, the, the leader of the free world is totally ridiculous. It's totally disconnected. Become a congressman for a while. Become a senator. Hey, be a governor of a state of 15, 20 million people at least. But these delusions of grandeur from these mayors and these small town mayors. Yes, uh, I'm talking about you, uh, Booty Judge, Mayor Pete. To think they can be president. Just delusions of grandeur. So Tony Montana in Florida, in Miami, is thinking about running for president. Which, if you, if you, Look, you want to do it. It, it, it. it used to be a free country. It's not a free country anymore, but let's pretend it still is. And you're going to do that kind of a thing. Go ahead. But don't start this bullshit about how bad Ron DeSantis is, okay? When you're in Miami, you're in Florida, the guy just won by a million and a half votes. People in Miami, right, left, Cuban, white, Latino, black, all voted for him. And you're telling your people that, that he's a bad governor, he's a bad guy? You know why? Because he's a MAGA shill. He's a MAGA shill. So I see him on TV about a week or two ago. And they're asking him about Ron DeSantis. And someone on Fox says, well, you and Ron DeSantis don't have a great relationship. And then he goes on to talk about how Ron DeSantis doesn't give a firm enough handshake. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Hey, I just say, paranoid. Maybe that's what he is. Maybe he's a little, as you say, paranoid. The guy doesn't give a strong enough handshake. Then he goes on to talk about how he doesn't look him in the eye enough. Obviously, this guy is a Trump shill. He's a Trump shill. He's friendly with Trump, and he's a Trump shill. And now he says the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life, which is that Ron DeSantis didn't let him do masks. Ron DeSantis prevented him from doing his city mask mandate, which is good job, Ron. Good job, Ron. So does this Tony Montana idiot think that people in Miami wanted more masks? Does he think the citizens of Miami on South Beach wanted to lie on the beach with masks on? That the tourists wanted to have to wear masks on fucking Miami Beach? Is this what he believes? That's his. This is how stupid these Trumpers are, including Trump himself and his whole ridiculously asinine third grade campaign, where you're trying to say a governor that everyone in Florida and many people around the country know is a successful conservative politician who just won in the purple state of florida by 20 fucking points is a bad governor that's all you got you that's all you got is that he doesn't have a firm handshake and he didn't let you do masks is this guy fucking kidding me yeah that's what they wanted in miami florida more mask more masks. They wanted to wear masks in 95-degree weather with 100% humidity. They were just dying for that, Tony Montana. They were just dying for that, Tony. <laughs> but they have nothing. The Trumpers, the MAGA, have nothing on Ron DeSantis. They cannot attack him on policies. He just got the most conservative policies in this last legislative agenda. He got them all done. Everything he wanted to get done, he got done. He won like every single battle, every single one, because the legislature is ironclad Republican because of him winning by a million and a half votes five months ago, you dope. So he gets this great conservative agenda accomplished. They have nothing they can attack him on except stupid shit like he doesn't give 
a handshake and he didn't want masks. Are you kidding me? As Robert Loger says in Scarface, are you crazy, Montana? Are you crazy? I couldn't find that clip. Maybe I'll find it for next time. So I had to do my Robert Loger impersonation, which you do by pretending you have like some kind of uh, food stuck in your throat. Are you crazy, Montana? Are you crazy? That's my best Robert Loger. But it's it's just the stretching they're doing and all the Trump ads that are all about Social Security. <laughs> this is also so yeah, Ron DeSantis got like 90% of the 65 plus vote because he's taking away people's social security. How stupid is this fucking orange faced lunatic that he thinks these ads are going to work? Yes, you win Florida by a million and a half votes by taking away all 65 plus year old social security. Yeah, that's the way you win. That's the winning formula. Yeah, yeah, Donnie, keep trying. Keep trying. Did you see the video of Trump? Was it yesterday? He was at some kind of a party. You know, as Ron DeSantis is is defending uh, uh, Mr. Penny, uh, Daniel Penny, and as Ron DeSantis is getting all this great conservative legislation passed in Florida, you have Trump at some party, some soiree, where they have the fucking village people. Did you see that? The village people dancing to YMCA, and he was trying to dance to YMCA. Is he running as a Democrat? Maybe he's running as a Democrat. We know he's always been a Democrat. Maybe he's reverting to type. Maybe he's reverting to type. But it's such a pathetic man and a pathetic campaign and these pathetic people who endorse him, these pathetic fools that endorse him, who think he's going to win Georgia and Arizona and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan. Who the fuck are they kidding? This fucking fat dope has no way to 270. He has no viable path. He's lucky if he gets 210. Independents aren't going to vote for him in swing states. What are they fucking dumb? Only Ron DeSantis can win them because he just did. Trump just lost them. DeSantis just won them. (laughs) Mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. I think we're going to have, if he calls in, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to have our NASCAR correspondent. I told him to call in about midnight. We'll see if he calls in. We'll see if Jacob gets to some big NASCAR race on Sunday, and he was going to preview it for the weekend. If he gets Friday, I'll do my film review. We'll preview NASCAR. We'll tell you what's going on over the weekend so we can all take a deep breath, but we'll see if he calls in. I hope so. I hope so. But I do have a film review that we'll do towards the end of the show. Anyone ever own a BlackBerry? That's what my review is, the movie BlackBerry. It's about the rise and fall of the BlackBerry phone. Remember, Obama used to always call this CrackBerry, right? He was really obsessed with it. That was an interesting phone. I never owned a BlackBerry. I never owned one. Um, I guess I... Got cell phones after the BlackBerry craze. I guess I got my maybe I got my first cell phone after. I was never into the BlackBerry. I guess I was into the the screen, you know, on it instead of the keyboard. But that was an interesting idea, and people were very addicted to Blackberries because they liked the keyboard, right? 
In fact, as, as the movie states, and it's true, if you asked BlackBerry users back in the time what they liked the most about it, it was that keyboard. Basically, it was a computer in the palm of your hand, right? That was the original idea, a computer keyboard in the palm of your hand. And people liked the keyboard. They liked feeling it. They liked the click, right? They liked having that physical keyboard. And then came – we'll talk more about this in a bit. But then came the iPhone, obviously. Well, I'll set it, I'll set it up. Then came the iPhone, right? And uh, when the iPhone came in, they had, of course, the the screen embedded in the phone, as just the way it is now, the, the keypad, the, 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 you know, virtual keyboard. And that became the big thing. But there, there were still some people like Obama who liked that physical keyboard and the click it made like a regular keyboard when you press the, the letters. So it's interesting, though, that that BlackBerry, an interesting arc of how big it was and then how quickly it dropped off. But, of course, iPhone was a big part of it. They pretty much, except for Android, they pretty much destroyed everybody, haven't they? So um, we'll take a look at that movie called Blackberry, a Canadian film, by the way. Did you know the Blackberry was Canadian in Waterloo, Ontario? I never knew that. I never knew Blackberry was developed in Canada that I did not know. They, those Canadians, they get no credit for anything, do they? I'm sure Americans take credit for the Blackberry, right? They're like, oh, no, we did it. It couldn't have been Canada. They don't do anything. You know, They did a lot of good things before Trudeau. Since Trudeau, forget it. I'm low to go back there because I don't want to give them any money. But uh, before Trudeau, they did a lot of uh, good things, a lot of good things. Yeah. Yeah. So the Jordan Neely thing is going to is, is, is one of those situations. We, we finally had the DA here, Brooke Jenkins, fight back against. In fact, she put out a statement today because she had found out she had there was the case here about the security guard at Walgreens who shot the person dead who was stealing things. And I guess there was a struggle of some kind and uh, and he shot him dead. It was a trans black, you know, homeless, whatever activist. And the, the activist here tried to get the DA to, to file charges. And, and, and she said no. And she has struck out against local city council, board of supervisors, people who have tried to put the arm on her to get her to change her decision. But they're kind of stupid because once the DA comes out and says definitively, as she did, we looked at all of video evidence and we believe this is a solid case of self-defense. Once the DA says that, she can't go back. Any defense attorney is just going to play that on a loop to a jury. So it's impossible to get a, to get a conviction now. It's impossible. Once a DA comes out and makes that statement. But yet these asshole politicians, these progressives here in San Francisco are trying to put the arm on her to get her to change her decision. And luckily, I think most likely because she knows she came out and made that statement and now there's no way she'd win. She's not going to go back. But of course, in, in, in New York, Alvin Bragg had never said anything about it and uh, was able to file the charge. And we know it's because of several reasons, right? The guy who did the strangling was the guy who did. I shouldn't even say strangling. That's terrible. The guy who did the that's the that's the verbiage they want me to use. The left wants me to use the the guy who did the chokehold to restrain the criminal was white and the criminal was black. So we know who died. So that that's racial. We know that we know that if the guy who did the restraining was black and the criminal was white, forget it. Not only would there not have been any charges, there would have been zero protests. We know that. Come on, people. There would have been zero protests if it was a black guy 
and a white criminal who died. Zero protests. So we know it's racially motivated. The charges, the protests are racially motivated. The charges are racially motivated. It's all racially motivated. We know that. And Alvin Bragg bent the knee to the activists. He bent the knee to the activists. When anyone that watches that video, I don't care how bad it looks. We all know the result. We don't got to keep saying it. They keep saying it. Oh, he died. He died. We know the result of it. But anyone who watches it knows it was self-defense. He was defending himself and other people on that train from a 44-time, 44-time violent felon. And uh, I still am very confident no jury of 12 in New York City of people who ride the subway are going to convict him. Because you know why? As I said yesterday, those people want people like that. Once again, I'll go back to my uh, few good men, Jack Nicholson scene. People want him on that train. They need him on that train. And they know that. They know that. And they want people like that to defend them. Maybe it'll be them. Maybe their sister or their grandmother. Maybe I should be the defense attorney because this is what they need to say. Maybe it'll be your sister or your grandmother or your father or your daughter next time whose life is in danger. And that person is not going to help her, not going to help save her life because you convicted this man. Isn't that a great? I think I should I should be the defense attorney. I have no legal background, of course, but who cares? Did you see my cousin Vinny? <laughs> you don't need a legal <laughs> I have the same style of my cousin Vinny. <laughs> that ute, that ute. So I don't think any jury is going to convict this person. No jury is going to convict this person. Oh, here's Ron DeSantis. We must defeat the Soros-funded DAs, stop the left's pro-criminal agenda, and take back the streets for law-abiding citizens. We stand with good Samaritans like Dan Penny. Let's show this Marine America's got his back. So you have to go to give – oh, good. They're not using GoFundMe. Give, send, go. Give, send, go.com. And I'm sure it's probably featured there. He's got a photo of him in the military in his uh, military, you know, green shirt and camo pants, and leaning against the tank. So that's the that's the video. That's the uh, page. It's Daniel Penny's legal uh, defense fund, and Ron DeSantis put this out. Put it out. Once again, this is another thing I like about Ron DeSantis. He's not afraid to take a stand. He's not afraid to do something that's going to be criticized by the left. In fact, sometimes I think he does it just because he wants to be criticized by the left. So it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a guy with incredible courage who doesn't care, right? And he holds the left's feet to the fire when they lie about him, right? He points out their lies. He points out their inconsistencies. He points out their hypocrisy. And he does it in a way where it's with facts, not Donald Trump, who just like yells and points and says this and that and, oh, get them. We should, we should get them out of here. We shouldn't let them be here. Those people. He doesn't have to do that stuff to Sanders. He just simply says, no, these are the facts and you're wrong. These are the facts. I'm presenting the facts. You're presenting your narrative. And that's the way it goes. He knows how to do that, which is what we need. We don't just need belligerence. Look, I hate the left-wing media as much as Donald Trump does, if not more. But we don't need to be belligerent. We need to be factual and strong. And that's what Ron DeSantis is.
Speaking of progressives, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's shocking to me that with the, with the, with the state of affairs here in San Francisco, by the way, every time I come on to do a show, which is five days a week, another store is closing here in San Francisco. I'm sure it's, it, it, I'm sure no matter what city you live in, in this country, it's not this way. Even like Chicago and, well, Chicago a lot's closing on the, what is it? The Miracle Mile, whatever they call that place. Uh, Magnificent Mile, Magnificent Mile, Oprah, Magnificent Mile. But uh, in most cities, this is not happening where every day I come on here, someone sends me a new story about a new, another store that's closed. So William Sonoma is now closing here. And I think we'll be one of the only big cities without a William Sonoma after it closes. So with one store closing after another, with people leaving on a daily basis for places like Texas, uh, Tennessee and Florida, we have another progressive running for city council for Board of Supervisors. This is one of the worst ever. This is a woman, uh, Jackie Fielder, who like has like zero experience in running anything, including like a dog kennel, hasn't even run a fucking dog kennel, hasn't run a PTA meeting, has no experience doing anything except running for office. There are these people I've noticed who just, they run for office. That's their thing. And it works well for them. They get themselves on Fox. They get a lot of Twitter followers. And all they do is fucking run for office. That's all they do. All they do is run for office. It's insane. So here's this Jackie Fielder, who already lost some kind of an election before, running for District 9, which is the Mission District. Which if you, if you like walk through the Mission District here, you would think you were in like the ghetto of Mexico City. You would think you're like in the ghetto of ghettos. You would not think you were in... A, a major metropolitan city, okay? We're talking about, like, there are two BART stations in the mission, and there's always stabbings and shootings and killings and riots at these BART stations, right? So you, it's not a normal place. They have a lot of bodegas, as, uh, as Jill Biden would say. Lots of, lots of bodegas, lots of bodegas. But uh, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's run down. It's terrible, graffiti, dirty, the. And exactly what it needs, I guess, is a uh, progressive, huh? More progressives. Exactly what San Francisco needs. More progressive. Instead of more cowbell, we need more progressive. That's the answer. Not fewer progressives. More progressives. So she's running for District 9. It's absolutely ridiculous. But once again, as I wrote, and I don't think I was being too strong, it's the dumb shit lib voters here. They are what enable miscreants like Fielder to run and usually win, by the way, not just run and lose, not just run and make a decent showing, <laughs> run and win. Understand that there are so many college degrees in this city with asses for brains. College was never more meaningless. San Francisco proves that right. We're talk we're hearing a lot now about how meaningless college is these days, and it is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's meaningless. People like I said in journalism, people are hiring assholes. If you're an asshole, you're in. Who cares about college anymore? It doesn't matter. And all these colleges are just te teaching this liberal agenda, woke agenda, trans ideology, race critical race theory. It's all crap. It's nothing. We used to complain about algebra, right, and calculus. And am I ever going to use this? Of course not. 
But this is stuff you definitely, definitely don't need to know. But this is what these colleges are teaching. And once again, this is a city of millions of degrees, right? Millions of degrees. We have, what do we have here? We have Stanford just to our south. We have Berkeley just to our east. We have the city college here. We have San Francisco State and morons. They, they produce idiots. So what does college mean? So these are the people who live here and vote here and they vote for these progressives. They think that's a good word. They think, oh, I got to vote for a progressive. Progressive. Oh, it's progressive. I don't want to be regressive. I want to be progressive. Yeah, I'll vote for you. This is <laughs> this is what people with three degrees think. And so this is what we get, which enables these people to run. If they were run out of town, they wouldn't run for office. But they run because they win. Because there are morons who vote for them. And then the city goes to shit. But the morons with all the degrees that live in luxury towers, they don't care. They never go to work. They never leave. They don't take public transportation. They don't go to a workplace. They don't have to walk to work or take public transportation to work. They work in their little beautiful studio or one-bedroom units. Or they'll take Uber and Lyft to a nightclub or a, or a restaurant where you spend $300. That's what they do. So what do they care? What do they care? Yeah, digressives. That's what we are. We're digressives. You're right, Daniel. What do they care about the state of the city? They don't care. These people are oblivious. You talk to these people and you tell them how bad it is here and they think you're an alien. They look at you like, what? Huh? You don't love it here? Oh, it's so great here. Yeah, it's great. When all you got to do is work from home, if maybe, maybe four days a week, and you take an Uber to the steakhouse, you take an Uber to the fucking uh, house of prime rib, you take it back to your luxury condo, where the next day you go on your computer, work for a couple of hours, and you make uh, 300 grand a year. Of course it's a great city. <laughs> God, the disdain I have for these people. And it really did start here before COVID. It started here with the tech people. It started here with the tech people well before COVID. That's when San Francisco started to go down in the fucking shitter. When people of real intellect, of common sense, of people with personality and depth left the city and the fucking tech, shallow tech giants took over. No offense, Elon. No offense, uh, David. David. Love you, David. Hey, Bill. We love David Sachs, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Be, come on, be more enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah no, uh, David, uh, you know, obviously uh, he started the platform. And who's the guy who, Axel, uh, his partner, who, who started this platform? I can't oh, is there a partner? I don't know, Axel. Yeah, Axel, I got to look it up again. If oh, I, right. I, I, I searched. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so Elon hires a World Economic Forum. Uh, <laughs> what is she? Some mucky muck with the WEF, right? Oh, thanks for bringing that up. I thought she was an NBC executive. No, if you check her out, the, all the word on her is he sold out because he hired a WEF. Uh, I forget her exact title with the WEF. I was. Uh, I can go back and search. Are they? Um, hey, Bill. Are they yeah. all bad people? The World Economic Forum. Yeah, I mean, are they all are they all on the level of Klaus Schwab? I'm just well, asking. You, if you if you think so, tell me. It's fine. 
I don't think, uh, you know, have you ever listened to his little puppet, Yuval Noah Harari? Yes, yes, yes. We're hackable animals. I know, I know. That's, I and know. That, that, you know, that doesn't, hackable animals doesn't sound very good. I don't want to be no, a hackable this, animal. This, this, is not, this is like a Nazi perspective. Absolutely. No question about it. It's dehumanizing. There, there's actually, when humans become cyborgs, is on the site. Mm-hmm. And there's a young Oriental woman at a okay. World Economic Forum. She's, she's all excited about becoming a cyborg. What Meaning, about this? Let me what? play the devil's Transhumanism. advocate. Let me play devil's advocate just for a second. Mm-hmm. Maybe this woman, who was at the World Economic Forum, was becoming... Mm-hmm very, very upset at the way they were going, at the direction they were going in, and and likes what Elon Musk is doing on Twitter and wants to do something very different. Maybe that is. You never know, right? Well, it's possible. We'll yeah. see. Maybe she was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. They're all crazy. This is not what I thought I was getting into. And I want to go to Twitter and breathe some fresh air. Maybe that's it. I'm just, I want to give her the benefit of the doubt because I don't, I don't believe Elon Musk has ever said one kind word about Schwab. So, no, he hasn't. That's true. Right. So let's see what happens here. Let's see what happens. It's very possible. You know, you go somewhere to work, you think it's one thing, or it is one thing at one point, then it gets totally bastardized by these crazy people. And you go, oh, my God, I got to get out of here. But I need a job. Oh, Elon Musk is looking for a – she probably applied and, uh, and got it. You know, so who knows? Who knows? Well, I'm sure he this. interviewed her. I'm sure he interviewed her several times before he gave her the job. So, you know, um, apparently she was an he's executive. Still boss. He's still the boss. So regardless. Okay. Well, right. I'm, I mean, she's not going to run it. He is. So, no. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to give you a little information off of one of my emails. I guess. She's an executive chair or she was of the World Economic Forum. Mm. So she's a new CEO for Twitter. I'm trying to look. It's a headline. Now I'm looking for a name. In the article, in the text. Yeah, good luck but, looking for an article with just facts and no opinion attached to it. Good luck with that one. Not not so easy to do these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got to check on this this email. You have to subscribe to get more from it. You yeah, know like, I mean? like every you know you know how annoying is that, Bill? We have to subscribe to everything these days. I mean, it's like you have to have thirty seven different subscriptions if you want to read every article, everything. Yeah. I mean, even these some of them want like a dollar a week, right? right? But it's like, how many of these subscriptions am I going to have? It's insane. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, what happens is sometimes I'll sign up for something and then they'll say you get a couple extra for free, but they're not because you'd have to then subscribe to them and pay for them. So all you get right. is a blurb, you know what I mean? From the kind of blah, blah. So that's what happened with that one. But um, anyway, I, and I've made the dumb mistake of, subscribing to so many so i get like 50 emails a day from all these different you know uh, uh, uh news uh which it's good a lot of it's good but so i'm trying to scroll and find one that no, actually right. tells no, me no. her name but anyway okay it's getting i'm sure we can search for her name but uh well let's hope so i mean but she was she tulsi gabber for example got trained by the world economic forum and she realized she just like she was a DNC girl, and she's none of that anymore. There you go. That's a good point yeah. right there, right? So it's entirely possible. She's yeah, she saw the way things were going, and she got out. So I yeah. think that's it's very possible. You know, it's very possible. And guess who else is one of the first global leader graduates? Take a guess. Who? 
Putin. Really? Yep. I didn't know that. Klaus Schwab brags about that, of course, about his new young global leaders. You know, oh, I'm, I'm very proud of my young global leaders. We have uh, Trudeau and uh, Macron. And, uh, <laughs> that's that's a good impersonation of Klaus. It's pretty good. <laughs> wait, wait, I got a little more for you. Uh, we, <laughs> there we, you go. I we, can do, I can uh, do Robert Loggia, and you'll do uh, – we can do Robert Loggia talking to Klaus Schwab. Hey, Klaus! <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, I'm very proud of our young global leaders, Robert. We, we've penetrated the world governments, uh, and, you know, and uh, Trudeau and uh, Canada. We have at least half his cabinet is young global leaders. Yeah, and that's why Canada's now so screwed up. Yeah. That's, that's, this is reflective of their agenda. Macron the same way. So, uh, anyway, so we're not going to, at least you're familiar. Some people I talk to I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, uh, some... left-wing media doesn't cover a Klaus Schwab. No, not at all. Do that. No, not at all. No. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Anyone who's such not... an obvious... Isn't he like... Doesn't he look like the typical, um, like, James Bond villain? Oh, well, it's an interesting perspective here. You know the, the movie with Dr. Evil? What's the yes. best yeah. yes. Him and his little sidekick? Right. You know, the little midget fellow who played yeah. yeah. That's Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari. Like, oh, they, they picked yeah. the two arch evil. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so there's memes like that about them online, you know, where the people have put memes up, you know. With Klaus Schwab's head and Noah Harari on the little body, you know. Little, oh, I've seen those. Okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, I've seen those. So, I, yeah. But don't forget, that's the Kissinger continuum. Uh, Kissinger trained Klaus Schwab. Mm-hmm. So, that's Bilderberg, Kissinger. So, Bilderberg is a secretive meeting of all the globalists, and World Economic Forum is the more public face of that. But it's right. the same propagandist. Uh, organization of non-government organizations, including over a thousand corporations, and I think they have a total of five thousand global influencers, which are, you know, people in government, and uh, uh, well, that's the uh, corporatocracy that is is a supranational corporatocracy. You know what I mean? It's, it's supranational. It's it's transnational, right. and this. This is uh, where policies, uh, these what they call think tanks, but they that's really where they go to discuss and, and uh, coordinate what it is they're going to be doing in the, in the world economies. You know, for real. It's just, you know who else is all involved? There's all the global bankers. You know, oh, J.P. Sure. Diamond. Oh, yeah. Right. And, yes. and yep. And so our, if you consider that's where, and of course, Larry Fink of BlackRock and, you know, get all the, all the top mucky mucks. So this, that's a great scene. Remember the movie Network? You must know that Mr. Beale is all, yeah. Of course, of right. course, of course, yes. Right. And you got to love that movie. And there's a scene where, if you recall, uh, the, I forget the actor's name playing Mr. Bill. He's being walked up the steps of, I think it was the New York Public Library yeah. with, um, uh, Duvall. The yes. remember? Yeah. And he's he's a great I am not even gonna try and imitate You mean Peter Finch? Is that yeah. the guy's name? Yeah, yeah, he did a great job. And so up when he gets to the top, they walk him into a, a, a uh an office where he meets somebody who's representing like 
a corporatist, but he's not identified. And then they he this corporatist walks him into a a meeting room, big meeting room, right? He sits him down. Do you remember the scene, the corporation from Network? Probably yes. not. It's nineteen seventy. Oh, you do remember? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna pair it? You know, from the version what the corporatist said to Mister Beale. No, go ahead. You, you do it. Go ahead. He sits him down first. He's you know, when you introduce him, he's very polite and he tells him how he started up. I forget what he started as a salesman somewhere at the corporatist, you know. And it's, and it's, it's, an, it's ambiguous. We don't know who this man is. He's never really introduced to us, the corporatist, like who he is, where he came from or anything. So when he, when he sits Mr. Beale down, it's a long, long, like, table where a bunch of you can imagine where a bunch of mucky mucks would sit for a corporate meeting, you know, if you remember, kind of, Dark lighting. Mr. Beale's sitting at one end. The guy's at the other end. He stands up, takes a step towards him, and he says, "He says, Mr. Beale." That's good. <laughs> says, That's yeah. good. He says, "I, I forget exactly. I, I, I'm gonna. It's a long thing to remember." And I just basically uh, said, "Mr. Beale, there are no borders, Mr. Beale. There are no nations. There are no states. It's the international." Uh, commerce that runs this world. What do you think the Russians are doing? And he's going back and forth. And he's, he's basically telling us it's the transnational corporations that run the world and they have no loyalty to no state, no border, whatever. It's all about the money. Right. Basically, you know. I should watch it again and I'll be able to imitate and get more. I haven't seen that okay. movie in uh, years and years. In fact, I'll have mm. to watch it again because we talk about it every once in a while, so I should watch yeah. it again. Because I think it's even... It's even, um, I think, more powerful now than it was 50 years ago, right? Oh, yeah. And I think now it's really even more prescient. So I'll definitely, I'll definitely see it again. It's yeah. A great, it's a great movie. It but, is. I mean, seriously, I mean, but, you know, Peter Finch doing, you know, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Right? Yep. I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. I mean, this yes. is like exactly how I feel every night. <laughs> I know, I could tell. <laughs> it's like, that's my thing. I should, I should play that every night. I should play that one clip. That'd be awesome. <laughs> every yeah. night. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it. But the great thing about that scene, and I guess what gives you hope in that scene, but doesn't give me any hope now, let's put it this way. When he says that on TV, right? And the scene mm -hmm. is he's on TV. He's at a news desk, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like going off script, right? That's the deal. He's going mm -hmm. off yeah. script. He's lost his mind because he's so angry. And he says, I want everyone to open your windows and stick your head out the window and say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you see people doing it, right? They mm -hmm. open yeah. their windows and they're screaming out. I don't think you'd even get that. First of all, you wouldn't get anyone on TV with the balls to do that. But I don't think people would follow and do that, and everyone would get. To, would, would all of a sudden you have these people, you know, joining in and saying that people now oh. just sit on their fucking couch and eat their popcorn. I mean, it's well. it's, just, it's sad. But look, the seventies was very different than now. You had people who were really engaged then. They wouldn't let the government put the wool over their eyes mm -hmm. back then the way they do now. It's gotten so much worse over the last half century, Bill, hasn't it? It's gotten really bad. Well, with yes. Uh, willful ignorance. With a willful ignorance. Well, let me give you a, a short story and then get to the present. I, my first year of college was at Fordham, right? And so the dormitory was, the back side of it was not quite U-shaped, but, you know, it formed like a bowl. You know what I mean? 
uh, with angular bowls. So, you know, it, it, what it did was it captured sound. So my room in the suite, the window opens to the back courtyard. Okay. You know, I know if I lift up the window, now I was on the first floor, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sleeping when I, I went to college, uh, 1978 to Fordham. <laughs> and the movie was 1976. I think it came out, if you recall. So one night I'm sleeping. I start hearing all this yelling, all this noise. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I didn't know it was, you know, I don't think I'd seen the movie yet at that point. I was only 17, right? And I step outside and everybody's yelling and banging on pots saying, I'm mad as hell. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take all the students for doing just that. Oh, wow. Somebody yeah. started it. Somebody started it and everybody caught up. And, and I was, I, I still didn't know what they were referring to. Right. It wasn't until later I saw the movie and went, oh, Jesus, that's what was going on. You know, I just laughed. I was like, wow. You know, so yeah, things are different, you know, but yeah. unfortunately today, this is, you were talking about the, the, the technocrats that uh, have taken over San Francisco, if from what you're saying, you know, uh, from big tech. And one thing missing there, and it seems more as the decades go on, like uh, it's soulless. It's all about money. Oh, absolutely. It, there's no soul anymore. You know, I don't feel when I'm walking in the streets here, I don't feel any kind of soul. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the last thing I feel here. There's nothing here. It's, it's, it's very empty and very, very soulless. Yep. And uh, it's, um, there's something very hollow about it, right? Where you don't, you don't feel there's no there's no heart there's no energy there's no vibrancy right. anymore there's no commu- there's no sense of community anymore right I mean, that's true yeah. and, and if you if you segue back to Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari they're talking about just being hackable animals that what does Noah say the days of when you believe you have your own thoughts you know mm-hmm. between you and God mm-hmm. and you know I'm just parroting that of course I mean and and he, so he's saying those those days are over those days are over you know it's like a little nazi standing there who the hell are you you know what i mean but he's a spokesperson for their deep think for where they come from right. and in fact trudeau's uh what, what's her name uh freeland his immediate uh assistant what's her name She's, um you know in canada um freeland is her last name i think i can't remember freeland. yeah yeah that's right yeah do you remember first name, Mike? I can't no, remember. It's tough for me. It's tough for me to keep, you know. Uh, all this names over. Yeah, it's yeah I mean, it's, it's, I have American politics in my hand all the time. It's tough for me to keep track of all the Canadian names. Right. <laughs> but well, Freeland she, is the name. You're right. right. Yeah. She was at the Go WEF. Ahead. She's at the. She was at the WEF talking at Davos, right? Yeah. And she's saying um, that it's tough for people to hear. She says, but U.S. Americans, you know, North Americans, need to learn. The, the middle America, they need to take a pay cut because if you look at the productivity, Christia what, Freeland, Christina, Christia, yeah, Christia, Christia, Christia Freeland. That's okay. Right. Yeah. She said because she was comparing what people are paid in China and their productivity to the U.S. workers, so we didn't make a pay cut to become more pet- competitive. Yeah. That's her perspective. That's what they think. It's global in nature. You see, this is the way they operate. So, but, but wait a minute now. What's the cost of living for an apartment in China? What's the cost of living? You know, there's no parity between the cost of living. Stupid says her, 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 grandf- her grandfather was a Ukrainian Nazi. Do you know anything about that? 
I wouldn't doubt it. I hate Stoopy. I wouldn't doubt it. Stoopy's great. I, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is it. This is what I'm saying. It's a Nazi think. It's a Nazi mentality. You know, and, and you've all know Harari that, you know, don't forget their mantra was you will own nothing, have no privacy and be happy. That was their mantra. They actually a young man. It, 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 it's, and Noah Harari says that by 2050, 80% of jobs will be eliminated by AI. Jeez. And that he's interviewed. He's like, well, what will people be doing for work? What are we going to do with the masses to work? He says, uh, the meta universe and drugs. Literally. Absolutely. You're right. Yeah. And what did they have? I was talking to some people in Colin, uh, Stubius Grape. There was some young men in their thirties. Right. Mm -hmm. Very intellectual. Okay. They're having trouble getting decent paying jobs, of course, you know, but very smart. Then they're calling. And so they start talking about what I consider a toy, some gaming platform they're on. And they're getting deep into it, like 45 minutes about how it works. And I was kind of curious because I'd never done any of that. You know, when we, when I grew up, there was Pong and, you know, I wasn't even interested and I never played video games, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people spend time doing that. And so I'm listening to tell me about, like, there's all these worlds and uh, financial systems and all this other stuff within the game, and it's really deep. And and I'm listening to this, and I'm, and I'm like, you know what I think? I think you could spend your time better. What, what do you mean? I said, why don't you do something like study the law rule book and go file some lawsuits like I did and try and create some change in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Sue some of these companies that you know are screwing us, you know, cause you can do that. Sue, you know, you know I did that. I filed four lawsuits. And what the issue is they don't want to get arrested. They don't want to stick their neck out because, you know, they have jobs or who has a kid. And I understand that. I'm not, right. I'm not pathetic right, 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 right. because they hear my story and then they look at what they did to Julian Assange, a whistleblower, you know, revealing uh. war crimes. They, that's why they keep doing that to Julian. They scare the shit out of anyone who's in the press. You know that, Do right? Do we know you the might, latest on Julian Assange? What's going on with him? This will go on forever, Mike. What, they, what's that? I, I'll tell you why they're going to never do anything but prosecute him and and keep him in limbo, because that way they it could news cycle. Once they put him in prison, he goes away like Daniel Hale. Remember Daniel Hale, the whistleblower mm-hmm. who who came out. He was a military drone operator. Mm-hmm. He said where the drone operations nine out of ten killed their civilians. Right. He's in jail now, four year sentence. Okay, I think he's got three years left. Okay, so what happens to whistleblowers who reveal war crimes or anyone like uh, Chelsea Manning or uh, or Snowden who who revealed the surveillance state, you know, after right. the Patriot Act? Look at it. This is what happens. So they, they keep these people in that position. It's like people forget now Chelsea Manning or Daniel Hill because they're no longer being prosecuted. They're no longer in the news. But as long as they keep Snowden out of the country and they keep Julian Assange in limbo, this keeps coming up. And why do they do this? They do this so that people in the press don't want to end up like Julian Assange, right? Or anyone who's in the military who's who's wanting to reveal what are quote-unquote secrets, which are really war crimes or crimes against humanity, whatever. That's why they do this, so that these people, they give them a plot. You, you hear about Julian periodically. There's some new action, some new this. Like I said, what's happening latest with Julian? 
I don't think they're ever going to put them away for any long term because once they give them a sentence, you understand, once he goes away, you know, in a deep hole in some freaking jail, you won't hear about him anymore. Right. Do you understand? Right. Right. So keeping him in limbo keeps, and it's all about, there's something called ideological subversion. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's a deep a state tactic of totalitarianism, you know, and, and, and it, it, it starts with destabilization of, of, of the masses. And, and fear and economic fear. So you have fear on a macro level and a micro level. Any way they can create feel, fear and destabilization of the masses. Now, when you have fear, people are more easy to control. You right. see what I'm saying? Right, right, right. And, um, you know what I should do is find it, put it in the live chat. How, how about we talk about it in more depth Monday because I can put it in the chat. Yeah, and we can, can, okay. Put it in the we chat. We can talk yeah, about it. Absolutely. And, uh, because there's it's four levels, but once you get to the third stage, people are controlled. They're completely controlled and no amount of evidence you put in front of them at that point will change them because the fear has driven them to a state where they're looking for, um, then they'll even turn to their abuser to help them. The government's abusing it, creating the destabilization and creating the, uh, this is what we have going on in the United States right now. And this is the bigger, and it's coming from the WEF, Absolutely. the new the new world order. Yeah. Bush one was talking. You can hear Bush one in speeches talking about we need a new world order. Yes, he had. Remember, Absolutely. he did. Yep, yep. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, Biden has mentioned the Great Reset. Yes, absolutely. No, that They're all on board. Yeah, so they, got, meant, the, they all meant they all talk about new world order and great resets and all that. They're not even shy about it, really. No, no. On both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats. That's so funny. They actually, talking about how, with the left saying all these things we say are conspiracy theories, they, they actually talk about it. Yes. And we point it out and they go, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. They fucking talk about it. I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it really is. Don't it's believe absolutely. your ears. Don't believe your eyes. You know, mm. Bill, let me let you go, Bill. I want to just cover a couple of things and then do the film review. And Okay. One last thing. Don't forget about the Ministry of Truth. Of course, oh, the mystery of truth. Right. Do you remember that when they tried to get that going? The mystery mm-hmm. of truth with that crazy then, woman, that crazy facaca oh, woman. Crazy, <laughs> was, indeed. Who would they call scary? Scary Poppins. Remember Scary Poppins? <laughs> <laughs> scary Poppins. Right. <laughs> all right, Bill. Have a good weekend. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, all right absolutely. Oh boy, but just a few things I want to go through before the film review. Um. So yesterday I mentioned that CNN, Anderson Cooper goes on CNN, does this dirge about how, how horrible it is that my network put on Donald Trump. How horrible it is that his network, which is supposed to be a news network, but here's Anderson Cooper pretty much admitting that it's not a news network. It's a network of narratives, right? If it's a news network, what's wrong with doing town halls with people who are running for president? What what if you're a news network, anyone who's running for president, you do a town hall. You probably do about seven or eight town halls. But they're not a news network. Anderson Cooper is proving that when he goes on and feigns uh, such anguish that they put on, you know, he looks like an eagle. And you know, Anderson Cooper looks like a bald eagle, looks like an American bald eagle. So he goes on and uh, he goes, oh, if you're angry, upset, I understand. If you never want to watch my network again, I get it. Oh, oh. Because we're not a news network. They're a narrative network. They're a left-wing narrative network. This is what happens also 
I would never allow any of my anchors to go on and say, don't watch this network. This is what happens. Once again, we have assholes hiring people like Anderson Cooper. Understand that. People who run CNN are assholes. They're morons. So this is what happens when you hire help that doesn't need the money. The idea is to hire help that needs the money. They're not going to go on the television, the air, the cameras that you supply for them while you're writing their paycheck and say how awful you are. I would have fired his bald eagle ass in a fucking second. But his, you know, the people who run it are too stupid. Anyway, too, look how long it took them to get rid of Don Lemon. Who hires Don Lemon? I mean, there's proof of the pudding right there. Proof is in the pudding. They hire Don Lemon. So this is the problem. You're hiring people who don't need the money. Hire people who need the money and afraid to lose their jobs. Anderson Cooper is not afraid to lose his job. He's got all the, you know, old family money one can have. Also, I don't like hiring people who were that wealthy with old family money who never really had to work a day in their lives. It's his decision to work. If you do, if it's your like decision to work, you don't have much connection to reality or the average person. I want you to have to work. And I want people working for me who need the job, not help that doesn't need the job and can spit in my face anytime they want. So it's ridiculous on many levels. But as Joe Concha, the great Joe Concha, who I, uh, you know, I really needled him yesterday because I watch Joe every morning on uh, Fox and Friends first with Todd Pyro and <laughs> him and Todd are big uh, Devils fans. And I'm a Ranger fan and the Devils lost. And it, long story short. The, the Devils lost. They beat the Rangers. Then they lost to Carolina. And the player on Carolina who beat them in overtime to end their season is a former Ranger. So I needled Joe for it, and he needled me back. But he's a good guy, Joe. I like him. I think he's great, actually. And he writes this. In April of 2016, not only did Anderson Cooper host the CNN Trump town hall, the network even had the family on along with him. And the network, from its president and all of its anchors and media team, promoted the hell out of it. The outrage now is beyond contrived, which makes you think, I think Joe's 100% right. But um, what is the contrivance? Why is it? And I think it comes back to what I say. What CNN and MSNBC and the rest of the left-leaning media want to do is they want to make Donald Trump even more appealing to his base pump up his numbers in the Republican primary because they know he'll get his ass kicked in the general with independence. They know that. Everything Donald Trump does pumps up his ratings within his ridiculously brain-dead Trump derangement syndrome base, but hurts him with independence. Like when he goes on and there's a woman, mo- and they put a woman moderator there for a reason. They didn't. Put, why didn't they put Anderson Cooper there? He usually moderates. Whenever there's a town hall with Biden, it's Anderson Cooper or Jake Tapper. Why was this this woman who I never even heard of before? Why? Because they knew Donald Trump would attack her, and he certainly did. Didn't he call her a nasty person? So if you call a man a nasty person, no one really cares. But when you call a woman a nasty, when you call a, a leftist woman who works for CNN, a nasty person that plays to your base and kills you with independence. And we're going to see more and more of this. The left-wing media, the mainstream media, pumping up Donald Trump, wanting to help him defeat DeSantis because they know DeSantis will kick Biden's ass and Trump will lose. 
So this is, like I said, Ron DeSantis is going to have to deal with it. And they're going to put out fake polls, which show that Trump can beat Biden. Believe me, they're not going to put out real polls that show DeSantis is beating Biden while Trump's losing. They won't do that. They're going to put up polls that show Biden's losing to Trump to pump up Trump as much as they can. So he loses in November of 2024. That's the game. And DeSantis is going to have to fight that game. And it's going to be a steamrolling. He's going to really have to fight that. Right. Anderson Cooper, CIA, Vanderbilt family. Yes. Boy, it's going to be quite the primary. It really is. Because DeSantis has got to deal with, obviously, Trump's campaign, which is fine. It's an opponent's campaign. That's the way it goes. You know that. But he's going to have to fight the entire left-wing media who wants Trump to be the nominee so he loses and and a good portion of the right-wing media who has Trump derangement syndrome and they love him and they want him to win. So it's going to be it's, – it's, DeSantis has a real fight on his hands. Let's not pretend this is going to be easy. I believe he will win. I believe he knows everything I know and more. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a real dogfight. So – but he's ready. He's ready. I have no doubt about that. So did anyone see one more thing? The Lakers game tonight, they did a someone put up a photo of Leonardo DiCaprio at the Lakers game on May 12th of 2023 wearing a mask. This is the day after his own beloved president, because we know he loves Joe Biden, ended all the COVID stuff. Forget about, this is what's so funny about these people. When you ask them two years ago, two and a half years ago, when will you stop doing this? They said, oh, well, uh, when the CDC says, all right, the CDC said they still did it. Oh, when my city ends the the emergency, I'll do it. Okay, that happened. No, they still, oh, when the state ends the emergency, I'll do it. Oh, when Biden, my beloved genius president who never lies ends the federal emergency i'll stop and they're still doing it which proves there is no end to these people they have been so fucked up by this that they'll never stop doing it and they might like stop it in some places maybe stop for a while but watch even the people who may stop for the summer how how much does anyone want to bet me i'll take bets now that they'll start it again in the fall and winter when the flu season starts again. They'll be doing this in the winter of 2024 because they are fucked up. They were fucked up by these mandates, by the CDC and by Fauci and by so on and so forth. They're so mentally screwed up over this. Their their OCD and their hypochondria has been raised to such an extreme level that they're never going to stop this. Not only was Leonardo DiCaprio wearing a dumb, useless, idiotic face diaper, but he wasn't even wearing it. This is what makes people make me laugh. These people wear these things, and they don't even wear it. <laughs> he was wearing it below his nose. What is the point? First of all, you shouldn't wear it. But if you're going to wear it, why don't you wear it right? When you wear it, it's virtue signaling. When you don't even wear it right, we know it's virtue signaling. It's incredible. It's truly just insane what we're dealing with here. The Hollywood left is so fucking ridiculous. They used, they've, they've always been fucked up, but now they're like, 
there were pedos and groomers and virtue signalers to the max and woke as fuck. It's terrible. And as I bash Hollywood, <laughs> I'm going to go into my Friday night film review. But you know what? Okay, well, I bash Canada too, but this is not really Hollywood. This is Hollywood North. This comes out of, this is a Canadian film. Uh, John, John, will you play me in even for a Canadian film, even though you live in Hollywood? You will? Oh, oh nice. It's good because you're here and it's the only film I'm reviewing. So, hey, you don't do this one. You came for no reason. All right. So, John, are we ready, John? Yeah, it's 1230. We should be ready, right? Okay, here's John Williams is going to uh, play me, play me in here. Okay. John, you ready? Boston Pops, ready? Okay. And since I only have one review, John says he'll stay around and, uh, and play me out also. So that's nice of him. It really is. Oh, I hope he never sends me an invoice. I'll be in trouble here. I'll be taking donations on GoFundMe or GoGiveMe, whatever the fuck it's called. Give, give, get, go. Uh, anyway, so the film is Blackberry. And this is about, this is a Canadian film because the Blackberry, who knew, who knew, was developed in Canada, in Waterloo, Canada. Was that like Hamilton, near Hamilton? And um, that's where it started, by a company, R-I-M, RIM. They started, they developed the BlackBerry starting in the mid-90s. They were working on it. The film starts in, I believe, in 1990, like 1996, at the beginning of it all. And it's like a ragtag group of nerds, right? It's like, remember, you used to see photos of what's-his-face Bill Gates when he was really young, and it was like all nerds. Well, all these people are nerds. So it was like this group of nerds who had this little company, and they were like um, building modems. And they were also trying to develop this phone, which, of course, would do everything phones do now. And uh, they don't know how to run a business, right? Uh, they don't know how to run a business. They're just a ragtag bunch. That, you know, it's the kind of group where they like they have like uh, arcade games. They, they're always playing video games while they're not working. They, they, they play video games more than they work. They have movie night where they watch old movies like Indiana Jones together. So there's no, no real cohesiveness to them. But they're really good, brainy computer people, right, who know what they're doing and are, uh, really want to work on getting this phone together. And so the film begins in 1996 with Mike Lazaridis and, and, uh, and his, uh, his uh, friend Doug, who run the company. Mike Lazaridis is played by Jay Baruchel, and Doug is played by the great actor Matt Johnson, who also directs the film. Um, and they're trying to pitch this to a guy named Jim Balsilli, played by the fantastic Glenn Howerton. These are all great Canadian actors, by the way. Um, and the original pitch doesn't go very well. Like I said, they're not, they're not really business guys. They don't know how to pitch anything. And Glenn Howerton plays this really slick kind of like, um, <laughs> Glenn Howerton could play Gavin Newsom, this really slick, like, uh, you know, executive who knows how to make pitches and, uh, works for this company that develops this stuff and, and listens to pitches and sees if they want to put their money into it. The pitch doesn't go great, but, Jim Basili loses his job in this company and ends up, you know, have nothing better to do, having no other choice than to maybe 
look into this and maybe try to help these guys run this company and get this phone off the ground. And that's where the film really starts with uh, Glenn uh, meeting with Jay and uh, meeting with Mike and Doug and they get together and he decides he's going to run their company. But remember, this guy played by Glenn Harrington is a real kind of like, you know, type A personality, right? He runs a tight ship. He screams at everyone. He yells. He's abrasive. And (laughs) Mike and Doug run this company that's very lenient, very laid back with a bunch of nerds who just have a good time together. So it creates a different, of course, dynamic. And as the film goes along, we see that, you know, the atmosphere, of course, becomes more and more corporate as they develop the phone and get more and more popular and get more and more successful and get deals going with Verizon and and AT&T and so on and so forth. Uh, Income Purdy, played by the great Michael Ironside. Remember, who started with David Cronenberg in Scanners and has been in so many great films. Michael Ironside comes in and he's this big, gruff uh, guy who runs companies. They bring him in to start running a tight ship. And the ship gets very tight. And as the ship gets tighter, things become less fun, of course. And uh, Woodman, played by the great actor Saul Rubinek, all these great Canadian actors, Saul Rubinek, he plays the one of the heads of Verizon who takes on the BlackBerry. Now, from what the film shows, people are wondering, how did this phone get the name BlackBerry? Well, uh, in their pitch to Verizon, as they're heading, as, as Jim and Mike are heading to Verizon to give them their pitch for the phone, uh, uh, Mike is eating something and he gets like a little bit of BlackBerry juice on his shirt. And of course, Jim being this, you know, really type A personality gets all pissed off over it. But that's where supposedly, as the film shows, they got the name BlackBerry from because he needed the uh, Saul Rubinek asked him at the meeting, what do you call this thing? But he asked them, he's impressed by it, but he asked them, what do you call this? And he looks down at his shirt and says, BlackBerry. Maybe. Who knows? Sounds good, right? Works in the film anyway. Hey, I don't doubt is how it happened. You know, so this is a great film. I have to tell you, I love it. Obviously, it's about the rise and fall. So you have that arc of things are going great and then things happen. I won't give away everything. Some of it has to do with stuff that's not very legal that that Jim does and it comes back to haunt him. They have problems with the SEC. And of course, eventually, iPhone and Steve Jobs really fucked them up with the with the iPhone model. And the film goes basically from like 1996 to about 2008, 2009. And at that point, we know that the BlackBerry is heading down. The stock hit its high in 2007 and then pretty much crashed. At one point, the BlackBerry was 45% of the smartphone market. Now it's zero. Uh, I love the film because not only does it have fantastic actors, Jay Baruchel, Glenn Howerton, Matt Johnson, who also directs, Carrie Elwes is in it. Remember Carrie Elwes? Michael Ironside, Saul Rubinek, fantastic actors, but it really, it's shot by Matt Johnson in this documentary style. So it really feels like we're there. It feels like we're watching a documentary, actually real life events as they happen. And the, 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 uh, the development, the camaraderie within this group of nerds is so wonderful to watch as they discover how to get this phone going, as they, you know, they navigate the minefields of the corporate world and getting the phone to work 
when many did not believe, including Verizon, that you could do something like this, that you can do something like this and not crash a network. There's a lot of like nerdy stuff, like technical stuff, but it's all done in a very free-spirited, fun fashion. And Matt Johnson, who plays Doug, is the real heart of the film because Doug is like this. He wears, he, he you know, he wears a tank top to work and shorts and a bandana and has a you know, Walkman in his ears. And he embodies that creative spirit, knowing nothing much about running a business, but the creative spirit and how that kind of creative spirit is crushed as it becomes more and more corporate. And Matt Johnson, just such a great job with Doug as showing what happens when this begins to happen. And he realizes that this is not the company that he once started with Mike and how things are changing. And uh, so he's the real heart of the film. Glenn Howerton is fantastic as the, as Jim Balsilli, the type A, you know, personality go-getter who helps them develop the company and then does certain things that leads to their demise. And Jay Baruchel, who I always love is Mike Lazardus, the man who started the company. And we also see his uh, progression from the little nerd who, you know, is, is really into just a technical aspect of stuff and doesn't know how to run a business into a businessman who is basically losing his creative spirit as things become more and more corporate. So it's basically this cautionary tale also, and in a way, a cautionary tale that you can't prevent, right? You can't prevent it. When a company starts out small and all of a sudden explodes, these things are going to happen, and it's hard to prevent them from happening. So it's like watching what we know is going to be the demise of a company take place. And there's a kind of sadness to it. It ends on, on kind of a, a sad note, a downbeat note. But we also understand that there was that in create, creative spirit in the 90s that unfortunately led to a more corporate culture in the 2000s when it came to the cell phone business. And that was the end of uh, BlackBerry. But it was this. there were things I didn't know about the BlackBerry that I learned from this film. I didn't even know it was a Canadian film. I didn't know that Jim Balsilli, played by Glenn Harriton, actually tried to buy the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he was going to, they found out, the NHL found out, the owners found out that he was going to move the team from Pittsburgh to Waterloo, Ontario. And once they found out, they nixed the deal. So I didn't know that either. But this is a great, this is a great low budget Canadian film shot in documentary style about the rise and fall of the Blackberry. I highly, highly recommend Matt Johnson's Blackberry. Okay. So hold on. Uh, can I get played out, guys? Got, put the food aside and uh, thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All right. A little house cleaning. Look, I've been doing this podcast now for a year and a half, five days a week, Monday to Friday. I have almost 400 shows, and I've been doing it since November of 21. I have not taken more than one day off. I've only taken, this is, I swear, my hand to God, Christmas Day of 2021 off. I haven't taken off a day since. I'm taking next week off. I know. Don't cry. Don't cry. I'll be here the following week, but just a little house clip. Next week, there will be no show. So I'm taking a week's vacation. Um, I'm going to relax. 
I'm going to uh, enjoy life for a week. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of get burnt out talking about such downbeat stuff five days a week, week in, week out. It can be a little bit, uh, you know, it, it can take its toll. You want to you want to kind of like kick back and uh, regenerate, refresh and then come back stronger. So that's what I'm going to do. And I have no boss to tell me I can't. take. Hey, look, I watch Fox and I see these guys. They seem to each have. 12 weeks of vacation. It's a great life. They seem to each have like 12 weeks vacation a year. I have not taken a week off in a year and a half. So I'm going to take a week. Next week, there'll be no and let's be heard. It won't exist next week. <laughs> but I'll be back the following Monday, a week from Monday. I'll be back. What date is that? 13th. What is it? 12, 13, 14, 15, 22nd? Yes, the 22nd. I will be back here with and let's be heard. But next week, uh, I'll I'll be off. Okay. So um, I do want to thank everyone for listening. I do want to remind everyone that normally, other than next week, this show airs five days a week, Monday through Friday, weeknights, uh, starting at 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern time. Okay. And I guess I'll just say that have a good weekend. Have a good week next week. I'll see you the following week. And until then, until then, this is Micah Shopley reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.